show is feature, please. Hey, this trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And if you need me, I'll be in my lab. Your co-host, Peter. I struggled a lot to come up with a way to introduce our episode this week in the same way I struggled to watch the episode of Star Trek we're about to review. Before I go any further, can you tell the audience what episode of Star Trek that was? Is that what we're still calling this, a Star Trek? (laughs) (laughs) Season 2, Episode 5, A Night in Sick Bay. I mentioned last week that this episode was bad. And it's so notoriously bad, I made a point of just never rewatching it whenever I would dip in to watching like some episodes of Enterprise through the years. I always just never watched it. I had seen it because I remember when I had the DVD set, I watched everything. Whatever that was, though, I remember it's like, oh, that was terrible. And I just like it faded in the back of my brain. Okay. We record on Friday nights. Typically, we record around 9 p.m. Eastern, right? I've gotten in the habit of just watching the episode on Friday. Sometimes with Stevie, we're both home from work, having dinner, that sort of thing. So that way she can watch it, too, if she wants. And I turn it on. And it is 630. And I watch the first 10 minutes. Stevie comes downstairs. I pause it. And she's like, how's it going? And I looked at her and I said, I have to have this watched by nine o'clock. I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to be able to watch this all the way through before nine o'clock. So I'm like, I need to take a break from this. This is might be the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm only 11 minutes in. I need a cleanser. I need something else, right? So she, you know, we have dinner. We're talking about a day. It's this nice, like, refreshing kind of aura enters the room that takes the stink out of there. Playing with my dog, all is well. And you text me and be like, "Hey, you can re- I can record earlier if you want." And I'm like, "Oh, cool. No, that would be good." You know, oh, let's do seven thirty. And I looked up and it's it's almost seven o'clock. I'm like, oh shit! Hold on one second. Get the dog out, do that, take care of some things around the house. And we need, like, I had just enough time to finish the episode. And I've got like about a half hour left to watch. About a half hour before Peter's ready. Let's do it. And I hit play and I remembered what I was watching. And now I can't stop. I have to watch the whole thing. I can't pause it. I'm literally down to the last minute before you are ready to record. I've committed myself to this action. And now I don't even get the, I don't even get the benefit of pausing for a moment to allow myself that mental break to, to look away from this, this clockwork orange level torture that I'm being exposed to. And just seconds after I finish the episode, I see you pop up on my screen and, and it's just, this was bad, dude. I was expecting you to say that you were just like skipping 10 seconds, skipping 10 seconds, skipping 10 seconds. No, I had to, I had to experience it. Mm. I had to, I had to know if it stayed this bad. I've been watching season three of Orville and it is fucking amazing. And I'm talking to Nate about it. And he asked me a question and he goes, how do you go from watching Orville and all this other good stuff to enterprise. And I'm like, it's painful. And and I'm gonna tell you right now, if it wasn't for this podcast, I would never watch another episode of enterprise again. Yeah, I, uh, I know you're saying that like yeah. enterprise is amazing and this and that towards the end. I'm telling you that I believe you. If you told me that just as a friend and we were not doing a fucking podcast thing, I would cut my losses now. I would let the fucking delicious, creamy center of the 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 Enterprise candy bar go off in the void. And I would say I'm never turning this fucking thing back on again. This is season two, episode five. All right. First episode of the season was uh, Shockwave Part 2. You're dealing with the Metaplot, uh, Temporal Cold War. Mm-hmm. There's real stuff going on. Yep. We get into Carbon Creek Season five or season 2, Episode 2. Felt like a Season 5 episode. Yeah. A good episode. Zero business being that early in the stack, especially when it's only your second season. All mm-hmm. right? 
Minefield, I liked it. Dead Stop, I really liked it. The fifth episode into the fucking season, and we've got this complete fucking horse shit, which if I was to give it the most generous, uh, charitable viewpoints possible, still zero business being this early in the episode, this early in the show. This is Rick Berman. This is Bran Braga writing this thing. There is zero excuses. so unacceptable. That is so unacceptable. Rick Berman and Brandon Braga wrote this thing. What the fuck is wrong with you two? This is why your show got canceled, guys. Rightfully this, so. This is why you killed Star Trek. Is because you made this. Not you Enterprise. This. Not Enterprise. You killed the fucking franchise with this yeah. show. We open up. Hold on. I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not done. I'm really not. We watched a lot of shit over the 220 episodes we've done, dude. We really have. We watched a bunch of really bad Voyager episodes. Irredeemably bad. Things that years later we still talk about the pain of having to watch. The pain in those was that they're, they're, they're time leeches. They're time wasters. I'm going to say by the end of this. This didn't necessarily feel like it wasted my time the way that like Elogium did. This was so bad that it transcended funny bad into just like insulting cringe. It's it's, it's academic study bad. Like you want to you want to dissect the choices that were all made to make this and try and really like piece together the person responsible like they're fucking Jeffrey Dahmer. They're a goddamn serial killer of franchises. That's what this is. That's what this is. It's Bram Brennan, and we keep going back to the joke, but that, that, and I'm going to say, let's just go ahead and call the episode of this right now, the, the writer's thinly veiled fetish. Uh, this is, if, if this is not the most inner expression of Rick Berman wanting to fuck Jolene Blaylock. Oh, God. Here's what's amazing. I go through the memory alpha and normally I don't read certain sections like what other publications have reviewed this, like, you know, two out of four uh, Star Trek Delta badges or whatever. Mm -hmm. There is zero discussion whatsoever within memory alpha of anybody else's external review. And I've never heard if I never heard anybody say boo about what was the come episode? Voxilla. Vox Sola, you know, it's not surprising me. I've never heard of this goddamn thing before, but like the the radio silence on outside review for a third party site like Memory Alpha. I'm amazed that there's not some line in there saying that this is widely regarded as complete fucking dog shit. <laughs> like someone had someone had something bad to say, but no, it's clean. Although, I mean, a Google search about this and you will find all manner of takes about how bad it is. I'm certain of that, but I, I, just, I was sad to see uh flocks Billingsley saying this is one of his favorites. Like, dude, I, I get all actors like screen time, but like the only parts of this that are salvageable are his. I, I mean, I'll, I'll grant <clears throat> him that, but that it's, it's not enough. It's like the tail of the plane that survived. <laughs> like the rest <laughs> of it blew up in a fire explosion and the rest is not useful. But uh, let's let's oh, I forgot the teaser is a triple rundown, a rubdown rather. This, the teaser is a triple rubdown. Like before we can even get into the really bad parts of the episode, we got to start with fucking Hoshi and T'Pol with most of their clothes off rubbing down the captain with some oil like it's 1967. There we are back in everybody's favorite literally blue. It's just a blue room for the blue scenes. It's the old Enterprise Jack Shack where you go in, strip <laughs> off your clothes, grab some lube and just start pumping off. I And, and I, I, I'm not I'm not justice worrying over here, right? I'm just I'm just saying yeah, this is an uncomfortable fit for you and I. We don't do this. It's just so bad. I'm it not is something that anyone would bring up. I'm not asking because I, I want to see it, but like if there were scenes where Mayweather had to rub down Reed or Flocks was having to rub down Trip or anything else that would 
establish a precedent where it is at all acceptable that you're going to stand in a fucking blue sauna with KY jelly and rub your boss or coworkers or subordinates down with it. Every time we've seen this, it's either been two guys, two girls, or one man and as many other girls as they can fit in there. That is correct. The, the last time was Hoshi to Paul and Reed, I believe. I don't see uh, fucking Archer in there oiling up Mayweather's uh, Greek god pets. <laughs> They should they should just be oiled as a consequence of being a national treasure. But no, I don't believe we've seen it. So the fact that you don't see this reciprocity just clearly highlights exactly what they're trying to do here, and it's it's unnecessarily sex stuff up. Hoshi's got her stupid midriff shown. I mean, and, and good on her for at least having a shirt on this time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that Paul's Jesus to Paul's little booty shorts have like little doily frilled cutoffs around the leggings which is you know super vulcan right they're they're real billet into like uh lace dainty accoutrement oh yeah absolutely oh i'm sorry i i guess there is guy on guy action because archer is rubbing down his fucking dog hold on stop before we even get in to to, to porthos okay I will say memory alpha's single shitty comment about this is about this scene and that it was used in a virgin one advertisement to show how more sexualized the show had become by first showing to Paul Archer clothed and then cutting to them practically naked. Uh, the, the advert then said the show had become a bit more risque showing to Paul putting on lotion on Sato while she rubbed it on Archer, who was in turn shown to rub it on Porthos. So it was pointed out in an advertisement specifically to show like this is weird. <laughs> this is getting is this a damage much. control. Is this like, them already saying, listen, somebody at UPN or somewhere saying sex it up more. We we were able to pull Voyager up a little bit, do more. Or is this just uh Rick Berman or someone else or Braga just running unchecked and being like Nobody's going to tell us no. They're going to they're going to do this. How we're the, best, we're the biggest show on this fucking network. Grease them up. You know, I want it. This is stuff I want to see. And this is my little horny fantasy. I want to see the fucking crews that the cast's reaction to reading the script like. Was back like, come the fuck on. <laughs> or, or, what, or were Grace Park and Julian Blaylock like, come the fuck on. Well, listen, you know, like Julian Blaylock knows what's up or Linda Park. I'm sorry. She's had an entire uh, season of being Miss Boobies. She's had what this is the third time I want to say, because, yeah, because yeah, Shockwave gratuitous Carbon Creek gratuitous. Yeah. And then I think they chill out until, you know, they come in for a tour de force with this nonsense. Well, that's three in one damn season out of five fucking episodes. I know it's ridiculous. It is. But yeah, but yeah, he's rubbing down Porthos. Porthos is here, and the implication is that, you know, we do have continuity. <laughs> and this is the same species that got mad at Enterprise because they invited him on board and then ate lunch in front of them, which is considered disgusting in their culture. So we've revisited the very easily offended people. This is, which is, to be clear, the Come Monster episode. And... This has all been part of their process of trying to supplicate to the uh, Cretaceans uh, because they need a warp plasma injector, which is something that they apparently manufacture there up to Starfleet standards. So it suddenly became necessary for the safety of the mission for Archer to make amends. And they went down to the planet. And this is where we get to the most ridiculous nonsensical and stupid characterization and writing choice I have ever seen for a like serious Starfleet officer character ever, let alone a captain. And I'm, I'm counting like beyond Janeway beyond anyone else. This is dumber than Picard and rascals. This, this is dumber than Picard and Picard. Ooh, big words, Joe. 
I I I think the visit to in the French pirate outfit to the crappy nightclub was more defensible than this. Okay? And that is the archer and his sensitive diplomatic mission to apologize to a bunch of aliens he earlier offended, whose assistance he requires, he chooses of his own volition to bring his dog with him. And the reason he brings his dog with him has no justification in any way, in any sort, for the mission at hand. It's not like these are people who love dogs and these want to pet a very good boy. There isn't anything said about like, oh, I need to bring him down to the surface because you have some kind of unobtainium that's going to prevent him from dying from doggy cancer. It's not like that. It's because I wanted him to get fresh air and fuck these people in particular. It is, it is so damaging to the concept of Archer as a serious person that should be in charge of other human beings, that it it just obliterates him. It reminds me as to why I always said that Archer was one of my least favorite characters and Scott Bakula one of my least favorite Trek actors. It's this episode. It's this whole thing from him the whole fucking time. And that's why I'm saying, like, what did the cast do when they saw the script? Bakula in specific. Was it Who's our David Straighten? What else has this guy done? He's done 10 Enterprise episodes, Desert Crossing, which was trash, Night and Sick Bay, and then he's got a bunch of other stuff from there. I don't know. Maybe this guy is just a terrible director. Maybe Berman and Braga were sitting there giving direct notes on set and saying, this is exactly the way we want this portrayed. I, I don't want to say maybe Bakula is just such a bad actor that he would choose to go this portrayal, but he comes off as such a fucking incompetent man child. Yes. Weenie whiner. Uh, just, just the most privileged buffoon petulant. He, he seems like a, like a petulant man child is. Every no, scene he's in. Yeah. Every- I, if you would have said that this character is actually, um, an alien interloper and he is from a mere universe full of like miserable fucks. <laughs> yes. Like the worst humans possible. Then I would go, okay, well this is hammed up a little bit, but you know, if this was like a comedic episode and like Archer gets replaced with not his evil twin, but like his, his re- twin. Yeah. Like his twin from a universe where he was born into money and has never known a single moment of inconvenience. I can only assume by this episode that if I'm taking everything at face value, that uh, Jonathan Archer is a single child. He's an only child. Not only is Archer an only child, Archer has succeeded at everything he has ever done in his whole life and has never had to apologize or be humbled by any circumstance, period. Like he has, he has resist, he has met with no resistance or no, no failure in his life. That is the kind of attitude he has. It is inexcusable from an adult human, let alone one that's supposed to be a spacefaring, you know, uh, uh, military officer, essentially, you know, uh, paramilitary officer, let alone the one who is in charge of Earth's most precious and highly developed spacecraft on a mission of exploration representing the entirety of his species and all of the billions upon it. He doesn't ask the president of Earth for advice. He doesn't even ask his boss for advice. He has carte blanche authority to write the future of history as he sees fit. And this dude is showing up to apologize, like you said, to a race where he already knows these dudes have like hair triggers Mm -hmm. with this fucking cavalier. I'm going to bring my fucking dog. I'm going to bring my Vulcan science officer because she's all protocols and, you know, she's good to bring along. I'm bringing Hoshi because this is a diplomatic thing. Yeah, she can translate clearly. She can understand the cultures. There's nobody else really appropriate. I'm going to bring my dog who runs off and uh, he's on a sacred tree. He's on a sacred tree. If you went to the White House to go visit and you had your dog with you and the dog went over and, and peed on the front lawn of the White House or any other sort of like super government official building, do you think your butthole would kind of like tighten up? Like, hey, do you got a place where I could like take the dog? Or are you going to let it go up and pee on the fucking Christmas tree in Times Square? Like, I think maybe, just maybe, if I was invited to the White House, 
I wouldn't bring my fucking dog! I would bring my gun strapped to my hip like I was Chakotay and Janeway. <laughs> yeah, we would come with clocks, but no dogs. That's the key. So as soon as I see the dog in this fucking uh, decontamination room, already I'm like, why is this goddamn dog a part of any sort of a weight team mission? And he, so he's sitting there, and we're what, 20 minutes in? They go down, <laughs> they're forced to wait teaser. for hours. Yeah. And then ultimately the aliens say, get out of here. They don't give them a clear reason. And it's just right off the rip, uh, Archer. This is bullshit. They jerked us around. These guys, man, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I need this warp coil. They suck. Let me smear cream on everybody's boobies. Also, I noticed this cream has like fucking glitter in it for like extra strip club flair. <laughs> yes. And then- I, will, I will say this episode furthers my personal canon that Hoshi is definitely used to romantically involved with archer just like the level of casual disregard that she gives him and his bullshit and his her amusement at him being stuck with this this circumstance that he hates and that she is she is amused by it yeah but i will say from a serious standpoint if we're not to take this episode as complete dog shit that nobody really thought about uh all of his sexual frustrations and stuff that they're going to get into later i would think that having sex with hoshi had it been something the writers intended, his thoughts would have at least went back to going back to an old girlfriend. But he, she's not even in the fucking. She's, she's in the sex dream. She leaves the sex dream with Porthos and then kind of gives him a look and says, "Have fun." Ah, uh, true. Um, Flox goes, "Hey, everybody can leave except the dogs. Got to stay." And then they're like, "Oh, what?" And they leave. And then there's Porthos, and this is how you know it's a bullshit TV show is because there's two two cups of Vaseline salve goop and the dog's mouth is not immediately eating that stuff. The second I mean, the actor, of the, the, the dog actor must be the best boy ever. He must be very good at following commands. I mean, it's, you know, it's played by the same cute beagle. That it's always played by, I believe he's actually credited. Let me see here. Yeah, breezy. Breezy, is, breezy. The, is the dog. That plays Porthos and was the full time Porthos for the whole run after the first season. I'm sorry that dog had to be in such a shitty TV show. So uh, Archer's got to go down, tell Trip, hey, I didn't get the warp coil. We find out or was it a plasma injector or something? Yeah, it was a warp plasma injector. We don't absolutely need it, but we're going to probably be in bad shape if we don't get one. And this is important and we should do this. It's not a gun to our head, but we want to stick around for it. And then, uh, yeah, so Trip drops a line on us. They're like, aren't you a trained diplomat? And it's like, could have fucking fooled me. I'm not a trained diplomat. And I can tell you right now, I could go through every single encounter that Archer's had up to this point, probably uh, two to 5% better than whatever he's doing. So whatever Starfleet's diplomatic training regimen is, uh, throw that program in the trash. It is interesting that like all of the supporting characters in this episode are kind of shitty to Archer for his shortcomings. Like he bitches and moans to Trip, and Trip's like, you know, fires back like you're, you're a diplomat. You're the boss. This is literally your job is to do shit like this. I need the thing. I'm the mechanic. Give me the thing. And to Paul is like, you didn't, you know, you're impatient. You brought your fucking dog. Like she's the one that brings up. Why'd you bring the dog? Like, <laughs> That was dumb. That you should just shouldn't have done that. It's just dismissal, dismissive of his decision making. And oh, she's like, "Here's the thing you're supposed to do. It's going to be humiliating. You still have to do it." I'm amused by this because I know you. Everyone's so, kind of shitty to him, and it's like, oh, if the, if they were being clever, this could be like a fun meta commentary on 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 how bad a character Archer is. But I, you know that's not what they intended. It's just what accidentally happened. I can't give it any sort of credit. Yeah, like, I can't. So the A plot here is that Archer went to the surface uh, with his dog that he had no business bringing that in turn caused a diplomatic incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, that protocol is you send your health scans for your away team, including the dog, and they say, uh, yeah, it's cool. Or no, there's terrible enzymes here and we need to have some sort of additional precautions. He got sick. So instead of the a plopping, how do we repair this? Our second round of diplomatic debacles. It's going to be Archer being a complete bitch about his dog being sick that he ultimately caused. And also 
doesn't really ever assume any sort of culpability that I don't think he ever admits my dog had no business going down there. No, no, that never gets addressed. But what he does do is say, these motherfuckers did this to me. That And then I think Flox has a scene like either they didn't know the dog was going to have the reaction it did, or maybe nobody even looked at the scans and there was some sort of disrespect there. And he never really moves past that point. And then the B plot is how does Archer fix this, uh, this, this debacle? And along the A lines, it's just as many dumb, needless decisions get made as possible, starting with Archer's decision that he's going to sleep in sick bay while his dog's passed out. Let me be clear. I love dogs. I love my dog a lot. Many V'ger please listeners have seen my dog and have noted he is adorable and a wonderful pet. Peter has met my dog. He also likes him. It's a good dog. But if my dog was sick and being taken care of by a medical professional, I would not sleep at his side. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I understand that, you know, um, Porthos is important to Archer and his dog, and he very much loves his dog, as I love mine. But uh, that is something that is like spouse level devotion. My you know kid, what I mean? Nick. A kid. Yeah. I, you also left off that um, if your dog was sick. And also, you were the captain of a starship, and everybody depends on you to be at your best because you never know what the fuck's going to happen, who's going to attack you, what minefield of cloaked mines you're going to drift into, what Mars attacks aliens are going to start invading and and concussively butt probing your crew, <laughs> yes, or some monsters or any of the other shit like this entire petulant streak. You're Listen, dealing with the people with the cum monster problem that foisted that shit on you. Yeah, the last time you talked, should be on high cum alert. The last time you dealt with these guys, they they saddled you with a cum monster that was like melting your brain into a group collective. This is not the time to be uh, not on your a game. So. We enter into this real slapdash sitcom level, I guess comedy is what they're trying to go for here, that Archer's just trying to sleep, but there's all this goofy stuff going on in the sick bay, starting with like flocks using a chainsaw on his fucking toenails. Which when we get to the 11 minute mark and we saw his nasty fucking toenails is where I paused it and told Stevie, I don't think I'm going to make it like what a fucking choice that was like, Hey guys, you know, this episode needs, we need like rubber feet, but worse. Let's, let's do a big old close up on some nasty flocks feet with some fungus black crap, you know, crusty fucking toenails that he's chopping off. They're going to show multiple shots of seeing that shit done. And then he feeds that shit to one of those little animals. How about we do that in this episode? And then everyone was too busy with their heads and fucking plates of cocaine to realize what was said and was now in the episode. And they shot I, it. And they're like, what is this? Why are we doing this? Led to believe that high. apparently Flock sleeps. D- does Flock sleep? No, remember that was part of the episode. Uh, the I wasn't sure that like, episode that like he only sleeps once, like a like every six months or whatever. I, I wasn't sure if that was like a super deep sleep and like maybe he had like light meditation. But I, I was like, okay, well he's just up working in the fucking sick bay nonstop like that. That sucks, but uh, okay, whatever. So this this back and forth goes right, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we've kind of praised before that Flocks has all these animals and like this homeopathic, holistic medicine style, which is a stark contrast to the blinky lights of the twenty fourth century that fix everything. It's cool. It stops being cool when it turns this episode into fucking Zubilee Zoo. <laughs> thing, something's rattling its cage. The whole fucking stupid thing with the bat getting out. There's a hierarchy of important shit going on here at the top of the chart for Archer is stupidly his dog. And then theoretically somewhere close below that should be getting these fucking warp coils. Somehow a a loose bat goes right up to the top of the list. So they're spending like between two. Oh, yeah. Also running through the episodes like the time codes like. We're watching uh, 24 or something and like closely tracking what's happening. 
Like, just imagine cutting away from each scene with a bink, bunk, bink, bunk of 24 going. Uh, we get introduced to the C plot, which is that either Bran Braga or Rick Berman uh, want you to know that they want to maybe have Archer fuck to Paul. So Flox is going to begin grilling to uh, Archer about, hey, remember back in the Ryza episodes when when we first introduced the idea of maybe the crew's got blue balls? Like, let's let's pick that up and that's let's not let it go. You know, the fucking weirdest part of those of those sudden segues into the C plot is that the conversation comes out of nowhere. Both times it happens. In the sense that there's nothing going on that Archer and Flocks are dealing with that should lead Flocks to explicitly and and purposefully move towards talking about how Archer wants to fuck to Paul, and yet they he just immediately pivots to it like oh this is just what's in the script. There's no like segue in the conversation. There's nothing that happens in the scene that would lead me to want to talk about this. There's no like thing that Archer said. There's nothing. It's just hard shift. Let's talk about how you want to fuck your first officer because she's a hot babe. Go back to Voyager with us and the term we would frequently use is ramrod. The writing room had something they wanted to do and common sense be damned. They were going to make it happen through the stupidest methods possible. Usually Janeway being batshit crazy and doing something very stupid to create the situation in this episode. And they don't really do it in Enterprise. Like I'm hard pressed to find a situation where they really ramrod something. This episode, they want Jolene Blaylock on display. They want sexy kissing. They want. Uh, boobies and and everything and else. They, they specifically want to play a romance angle too, because they've they've largely romance sex. Yes, there's there's no a lust angle, a lust angle, a hard bad. lust angle, and and Archer is the plot element that ramrods uh, Jolene Blaylock into exploitation. Yeah, this this is the the problem problem i don't know what you would call it situation that they built for themselves where they want to sec- exploit the the hot women that they have available to them to try and you know give the ratings an artificial bump and give the show uh some kind of viral at the time attention is it for but, ratings or is it because berman just wants tits either know. either fetish or or for uh shock reasons whatever the case Whatever the case, they are still locked into doing it in a way that is itself strangely sexless and very much just exploitive. Because Trek is rarely romantic. And so when you think about it, it's just not something that plays into a lot of great romance stories. DS9 got there, but it would because it was such a big, long beefy continuitous show where a character had so much continuity that you could build relationships over the course of a season that played out in that way. Whereas you've got these individual episodes where they try and do like a little romance plots and some of them work and a lot of them don't. And you don't know how to do that also with a Vulcan character who canonically don't fuck, but once every seven years and aren't known for emotion. So it's like, now I've got my, my hot TNA character except they are literally supposed to be an ice box that does not do sexy time jump back to gene roddenberry and how he used to handle sex because sex on its own is not a yeah stranger. tos aside i'm sorry like the 60s were a different time but it I mean, was all it was all groovy sex itself is not a, a strange concept to trek uh tos had its own stuff right he gene wanted eye candy Gene wanted something sexy. He put Deanna Troy in there, this emotional avatar of 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 attraction and emotions and feelings, sensuality, whatever. Right. Like you could say she's a a worthless character early on and and doesn't really start getting real until she puts the uniform on. But like it's there. And when they want to do the sexy stuff, like you've got this thing that is built for right. This this plot mechanic that works you've got a pre-existing romance with Riker that stuff goes on right mm-hmm. uh and then it's like as soon as 
it starts being the 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 Rick Berman time, specifically Voyager. I felt like they're they did it right ways at a certain extent with uh, Tom and Bellana, like the actors' lack of charisma together like they don't have a lot of chemistry together but they did figure out how to simulate a realistic uh, relationship mathematically it made sense but they didn't want that they wanted that that lust angle and then they put in seven of nine and they got boobies and butt in a tight suit and, and and whatever right um and it's like it never clicked from like man i don't know like robot boobies is is hard to make work well and instead of just moving on and having another a softer character. They just did the exact same goddamn thing with Jolene Blaylock. Again, like someone there has the robot lady fetish and they want to go back. They want to melt that ice queen. They got, that's what they want to do. So, uh, throw in the stupid gym scene where it's, uh, Archer on the treadmill and then Jolene Blaylock there in her sports bra and they're running. And to Paul's like, you shouldn't have brought the dog. And Archer's like, yeah, well, here, let me be a man child for another five minutes. I don't even know what the fucking point of the scene was because I was just beside myself with being over this shit. That adds more fuel to the the flocks uh, interrogation of like, oh, gee, doctor, uh, gee, captain, you just need to basically get your rocks off, which. I don't know, I I appreciated them bringing it up for like the Riza episode. and. If they really wanted to pursue that as a realistic concern, just have had Archer sleep with. uh, No, I mean, it was never about like that. He hasn't banged anyone like that was that was just lazy for this. Like, okay, for Riza, that joke was funny because it was to Paul who doesn't understand humans being like, you know, all of you need to bone. You know, like it sort of like her primitive understanding that, oh, humans just just need to get their their fucking dick wet at X amount of times under Y amount amount of of calendar space. You know, it's just better for them as a as a species. We should facilitate that for them. Um, this is just like a weird, sloppy way to to fake a transition to a conversation where they want to get, which is Archer into Paul again. Something that they like toyed with weirdly here and there but has never made any sense narratively okay so there is so much more obviously working with trip and to pull because trip is a very in touch with his feelings southern florida man and he contrasts very sharply with the rigid yet still inquisitive to paul and that allows them to have a unique chemistry together that they have in limited screen time exploring that demonstrated. All of the times they've tried to brush up against the idea of Archer and T'Pol, it has never made sense. What, like, why would either of these people be into each other? They do not vibe like that. They do not give that vibe off. I do not detect it. I mean, I, agree, I guess. Disagree. Doesn't matter. I would like maybe some of our female listeners to like chime off if you at all consider Scott Bakula somehow a sex symbol. And if on any level, I'm sure he's someone's type. But I'm saying that just these two together, their performance in scenes together has not suggested sexual tension. No. Even adjusting for to Paul's. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to again figure out like why they're choosing to try and ramrod it. I don't is Bacula in the back room being like, yeah man, I could go for some sex scenes, like hook it up. Or is Bacula seeing these and being like, man, this doesn't like again, mad respect for Bacula back in uh Reefer Madness Planet for being like, this dude shouldn't die. The first death on Enterprise should be a big fucking deal. I'm going to push back against the executive producers. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to call them on their bullshit. They're they're bad scripting and we're going to get a better product out of it. Like maybe I would like to think maybe Bacula is like, this isn't working. I'm not going to portray it the hottest. I hope these guys back off it and I I don't feel comfortable doing this stuff. This isn't my shtick. He was in his 40s by by this point. He's probably feeling a little awkward about it. You know, like how old is Blaylock through this? 20 something I, I remember looking and seeing that the that uh it was 
Linda Park, who is actually the closest in age to her character. But Michelle Blaylock is born in March 5th, 1975. So this episode was made in 2002. So 27, 27 years of age. I'm trying to find something fun to talk about here. We we fast forward through just a bunch of other cockamamie shit like at the back getting out and escaping yeah bunch of fucking keystone cop stuff it's like failed comedy episode bullshit like they're trying to make this lighthearted, but because all the decisions that are being made are so baffling you can never accept it as a as a comedy episode it's the worst of all worlds finally the aliens uh whatever the fuck they're called uh, speaking of archer's boss Yeah, you know, there's not Bon Armstrong shows up as an alien again. <laughs> no, you mean Admiral Forrest shows up in his alien blackface again? Yes. Says, uh, hey, she's fucking with him. He's just fucking with him. Here's our list of demands. Also, it's shitty that you guys aren't respecting the capital city time, which they're petulant about. Like, hey, maybe that is kind of reasonable. Nope. Fuck these guys. America, fuck yeah. I guess, you know, and there's been comments before that. There's a big turnoff to Enterprise by the international community because it feels like it's just Americans in space. And looking at this episode specifically and a lot of the intentional buffoonery, I can see where those comments are coming from. Yeah. Archer looks at the list of demands. He doesn't care because, gosh darn it, my dog is sick and that's all I care about. And then he begins blatantly saying stuff like, if my dog dies... Basically, I'm going to go on the war path. I'll yeah, I'm going to go down really. there and, and I'm going to pee on one of their trees in front. I'm going to literally he says that Yeah. Uh, if anything bad happens, this the only thing I care about is my dog. As a boss, I can have very selfish, petty thoughts. I can have employees that I hate and I just grip my teeth every time I got to talk to them. It doesn't matter, man. When you're in charge. You, you got to put on the fucking show. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and he observes zero of that. And you can say, well, he shook. I look back on Shockwave part one, where the entire fucking mission gets canceled because they just killed an entire planet and Starfleet's canceling their deep space program because uh, the Vulcans are twisting their arm behind their back. I've seen a, a, a shook, depressed, crushed archer. It's not this guy we're seeing here. This is just a fucking petulant bitch. Um, Hard agree. That's what he is. And it, you know, I wish it was Admiral Forrest out there, like testing Archer to see if he's worthy of his command. The show could just end in the next episode and he gets a court martial. Eventually, our, oh, you know, they're, they're trying to fix a dog. It's working. It's failing. Blah, blah, blah. What an emotional roller coaster. There's this creepy, like, puppet dog that's just still for all these scenes. <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 piece of the tail that's that's the last piece you know surviving piece of the aircraft after the crash is when Flox is clearly pulling out all the stops to save Porthos's life. Are you going to skip like, the dream? Oh, okay. We'll get back to the sex dream. Don't worry. But like he's trying to do everything in his power to save Porthos's life. You know, I'm going to do an experimental surgery. I'm going to kill one of my own animals. We're going to make this happen. And Archer is a super valuable animal too. who yeah. its presence on the ship could potentially mean a human life being saved. And and this is all being pointed out on screen by Phlox. And Archer is just so focused on the fact that it's something that um, Phlox hasn't done before. He starts accusing him of not understanding how important his pet is to him to the point where Phlox actually gets angry at him. Where he just snaps back and and is very pissed off that his his clear concern for Porthos is not being appreciated by Archer at all, and and brushes him back to the to the level where eventually that provides the story breakthrough for Archer to realize that he's a petulant bitch and he owes literally every single person he has interacted with in this episode an apology. Which I'll be honest. That piece was actually well executed if the rest of it wasn't so completely ridiculous and irredeemable. You know, like that idea of like 
Archer being unaware of the consequences of some of his actions is because of his command blindness or something like that. And that it takes him having an intimate fuck up to realize where he's fucked up other places. Like that, that has my idea has merit, particularly as, as myself, someone who's in a management position and you don't know you've fucked up until you've kind of, you know, marinated it for a second. Yeah. So that works, except the, the idea that works is surrounded by so much shit that it doesn't matter. It's not redeemable for him at all. It does not redeem him. Him doing the, the fucking dance with the chainsaw and putting all the little pieces of wood in the correct place while supplicating himself is not actually like impressive within the story. It's not even the bare minimum of what he owed for everything else he fucked up. Let's continue that thought for a second. By the end, I think for him to really redeem himself as a character within the time frame of this episode, I think that he should have had a moment where there's a self-realization and that he actively decides, I've been selfish. Uh, I'm going to do something that is going to take me away from the dog or I'm going to do something to make I'm going to do something where basically my dog might actually die as a result of this Mm -hmm. because I need to focus on being uh, a good captain or repairing damages that I've caused and that there is a glimmer of self-sacrifice that then everybody can look at and say you know what captain Uh, in the end you made the right decision your dog thankfully didn't die uh, but you have shown us that you're able to make the hard decisions and set your own personal interests inside. Instead, the the dog continues to be his top priority the entire time through. And once everything's safe, then he decides, okay, I can start saying I'm sorry and, and doing my actual fucking job on my super important mission, which my mission so important that again, back in shockwave point one, I went through all this terrible depression, bad continuity, right? Uh, the, the good parts of this episode are through a lot of this buddy, buddy time that we spend between also this episode felt like it was super fucking long. Like, I don't know how they had so much shit going on. Some episodes feel so fast. This one, I feel like there's 80 different parts of the story and each part went on way too long, but there is uh, some pretty good Denoblian background where, uh, Flox fleshes out like whatever his polycube deal is talks about his kids strange have kid. do a lot of fucking let's put it that way yeah uh no gay stuff though he, he talks about how many wives and how many husbands they have and how many i forget what the math was but like how many uh connections there are but then only some of them are like a fraction of that is like romantic possible and it's like all right well the husbands aren't getting each other sure i guess fits with everything i've seen in the uh the blue room uh oil rubdowns I, I i see the show they're putting on here okay but i thought all that world building was cool and as you pointed out earlier flocks as a like he does a commendable effort and some of the stuff like him scraping his tongue and the other little annoying things maybe not so much him cutting his toenails uh, maybe that's why i don't feel like this episode is a complete fucking irredeemable turd but then archer finally gets a little bit of sleep and we get this goofy tim burton funeral scene it is he goes to lay down hard cut to a pet cemetery where the crew is in a clear 20th century environment and are in funeral clothes in the pouring rain with Archer is the only one without an umbrella while uh, Phlox gives the world's worst like eulogy for a dog and then starts to blend into his dialogue about Archer's sexual attraction to Paul and them holding hands and then hard cut to the decon chamber again because you know we can't just have Paul's boobs in this. We've got to make sure we got Hoshi's boobs in the, in here again. They're all greasing each other down again. That's where we get the moment where Hoshi and Forthos leave the sex dream, but Hoshi like has like gives it a look and, and tells them to have fun. And suddenly they're rubbing each other and the dialogues again, and then they kiss 
in the dream and then Archer wakes up. So he has a sex dream. And yeah, he might as well just woken up with like a cum shot in his pants. We're like, oh, my God, that monster's back. He's, he's <laughs> everywhere. Oh, no, that's just me having sex dreams in the fucking sick bay. And then T'Pol comes in to like do some sort of status report. And we get these Freudian slips about lips and boobs. It, I want to say it's it's it is the worst dad humor slash. I'm trying to do a com. I'm trying hard to do the comedy episode and failing moment of this episode. Like it is sophomoric humor that you would never see explicitly done in Trek ever. You know, I represented that scene of dialogue in my notes uh, simply with "fuck this show." Yeah, like it. It's it's so lowbrow. It's like Trek has never had done this ever. And it, it knew better than to do this. So they uh, they wrap up the A plot, which is Porthos is sick uh, with the need of basically a pituitary gland transplant from this medical lizard over to Porthos, which Porthos, yeah, we, we covered all of the details there in regards to well, the it's a sacrifice like clearly fox is helping archer's a bitch about it and this allows him to bridge the gap and understand he's a the dog's in a big jug of piss Mm -hmm. and and fox is in there with like long tools and archer won't shut the fuck like i get if archer under pressure likes to talk like when he's diffusing the bomb he wants to talk to reed because that helps him maybe he should be like hey doc by the way while you have like fucking tweezers in my dog's brain like is it cool if we talk about uh, my repressed sexual desires for to Paul and I get like some dating advice? It's about this time that they are now killing the lizard. Archer has backburnered his mission. They're moving hell and high water to save the dog's life that he brought to the surface. Then I go back to a well I like to drink deeply from, which is Dear Doctor. Yes, you do. Which is where these two motherfuckers decided that it wasn't right to play God and disrupt the course of nature. And as a result, they were going to let a whole fucking plan of people die. And here are these same people doing everything within their power. While Archer shows 600,000% more concern over his fucking dog than all of the people he condemned to space aids. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of Mr. Rogers level sweater wearers just dead. Millions. And never at any point goes, wow, you know, it's crazy that I'm I'm so caught up in the life of this one thing where nature's taking its course yet before. Oh, well. In any case, he eventually does decide to apologize. Having had his breakthrough, he does this complicated apology dance where he has to ritualistically cut a tree in, in slices and then present the slices while in a in his just shirtless with like war paint on it's very in grease yeah it's very weird uh it's that actually is like the idea of the ceremony and this being part of the diplomacy is also like not a terrible idea it's just in service to shit so it gets stank with everything else and they go back up to the ship Archer is humbled by his experience. He offers his apologies to everybody. And at the very end, Paul's like, basically like, I want to fuck you too, but you're my boss. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like that's the last part of someone to wrap. Like my story that I told at the beginning of this episode was real. That was the last, you know, I was just finishing that as Peter came on. They have this scene where they're trying to pay off the concept that to Paul, you know, we haven't gotten her perspective on if she's actually attracted to Archer. And this is supposed to be a scene that suggests that to Paul is in fact attracted to Archer. I presume, I presume based on it. And again, I couldn't understand why it was happening. What are you doing? What is the show doing? This isn't a thing. Why does she want to fuck him all of a sudden? There has been nothing that this character has done that Subcommander T'Pol has ever done to suggest to me that she has an iota of sexual interest in Jonathan Archer. I understand maybe if Archer's horny for her, her, right? Because he's human 
and she's hot. Oh, fine. If that if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But but for T'Pol, there has to be something. And yet here in this scene, in this moment, they decide to have T'Pol intimate through very very clearly through her conversation that she would like to take him to Bone Town as well. But they are not going to do that. And I just why? The whole episode feels like it's just fan fiction minus the gratuitous sex scene. Uh, it feels like it's written all by but, people. All but that. I mean, it feels like it's written by people who do not fundamentally understand any of the characters involved, uh, have poor writing skills, bad comedic timing, uh, and just really, or maybe they were just paid to make the worst fucking thing possible. Uh, regardless of why or how it happened, the result is the same, and it is the worst thing possible. I, I feel bad that it's been such a negative podcast that I, I just I haven't been able to find fucking angles for jokes just because it's just unbelievably bad. And when I say that, I'm ready to stop watching fucking Enterprise now if it wasn't if I didn't know it was going to get even if I did know it was going to get much better. Like if I was just mm-hmm. watching this for funsies, you'd stop or at the very least skip to the good part. You know, you wouldn't watch this shit. You start start with season three, right? I I would might almost say, uh, all right, well, I would start watching the first couple minutes of each episode in a binge capacity. And if it was just trash right off the rip like this one is, just skip the fucking episode until I started getting good stuff. I, I the way I legitimately recommended Enterprise to people for years was watch the premiere, then watch the last episode of season two and then go from there. Because you don't need anything, and I mean anything that happens between the premiere and the last episode of season two, if you really don't want to fucking know. There's cool stuff. There's good scenes here and there, there's, but then there's just complete fucking. I, no, I, it hasn't really been. This has been, I think, really the first honest to god awful episode of of Enterprise. Like, there's been a lot of just. Meh. Um, yeah, this but, is the first absolute certified. R- fucking anti-banger. I don't know what else to call it. This is bad on a level that I have not experienced since the days where we were having to suffer through, you know, um, fucking twisted, you know, like that kind of even even twisted, even twisted. I felt like the show still had respect for itself. It might've been junky, but like just the shameless fucking, booby sexy i'm air quoting sexy just the shameless blue stuff i i can't respect the show for that man like yeah it's just somebody needs to fucking go and tell bran and 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 rick berman stop this is like it was written by 12 year old pubescent boys and was written by the two masters of star trek at the time i know inexcusable all right let's stop talking about this please yeah, what are we watching next week? Season two, episode six, Marauders. And I'm seeing what looks like Klingon standing on a prayer. I don't know. It kind of looks like a Starship Troopers uh, Clendathu outpost. They need a fuel enterprise arrives at a mining colony for supplies. They discover the Klingons are uh, doing naughty things. Archer and the rest of the crew are going to start their own uprising against the Klingons. Well, it can't get worse, right? You say that. Once you're at the bottom, everything's going up. So, if you aren't horribly depressed by this review of uh, Star Trek Enterprise, we'll see you uh, next week, I hope.